0: Welcome, and thank you for listening to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro, a podcast that takes a second look at films from the past that went under the radar for whatever silly reason. Before we begin our show, just a warning that our hosts do not censor their speech and have the habit of spoiling the movie's endings. So if you wish to watch along with us, perhaps pause this episode and tune in later. As always, we appreciate all of our listeners and look forward to debating the greatness of this uncovered gem. Enjoy the show.
1: Super Mario Brothers! So, if you were a kid in the year 1989, and you saw this movie, The Wizard, whatever day that was, was among the most awesome days of your life. And the reason is because this movie was nothing short of radical, tubular, excellent, and all the other adjectives that we've known to describe the late 80s slash early 90s to a T, coupled with the amazing reveal of a never-before-seen video game, which, from what I understand, is movie history. And here to discuss that, we have a very special episode of Second Chance Cinema. As always, my social distancing co-host. Spro, how are you, Spro?
0: I'm fantastic. How are you?
1: Good. Would you like to introduce our special guest?
0: Well, right from the podcast of the Vintage Baseball Podcast is...
1: Who we also know as Swamp Fox Frias, who gave probably one of the most impassioned arguments for Michael Bay's film career that I've ever heard in my life (laughs) on our last episode. Rudy, how are you? Uh
2: I am I'm living a dream right now. Thank you. Thanks for having me guys. This is this is fantastic.
1: So why don't you tell us why among all the movies that you could have that you've seen and could have chosen you you decided on this one for second chance cinema.
2: I gotta be honest. I've listened to every episode and so I kind of I kind of felt like this movie hit that sweet spot of uh, second chance cinema worthy of study and I think that you already talked on. You talked about it. This movie in the 80s was mind-blowing for me. For many reasons, which we'll get into later, but it had everything I wanted in a movie. It was about running away, playing video games, and, and getting paid for it.
1: If that wasn't the tagline, it should have been. I have to ask, did you say that this movie was worthy of study because we said that several times during our last episode, or was that just an amazing coincidence? It
2: was it, Both. It was all right.
1: Fair enough. Because in addition to being worthy of study, there is absolutely a ton to unpack here with the wizard. I don't know if you guys take notes when you watch the movies. I myself have about five pages of notes. You guys do the same thing.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, two pages written down and then I have a note on my phone.
1: One note on your phone. A special phone note?
2: Yeah, it's a phone note.
1: <laughs> is that something like you thought of later when you were like jogging and contemplating the wizard? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it's the awesome, afterthought.
1: <laughs> Before we get into the meat of the discussion here, I think that really, Rudy, what you said is basically the three elements that kind of wrap up this movie. It's a quest narrative about kids running away, playing video games, and ultimately winning a giant unfathomable to a young person prize. Let's not beat around the bush here. It was basically a hour and 40 minute commercial for Nintendo, which a lot of people seem to have a problem with based on the reviews that I read, but I found nothing wrong with it then and I found nothing wrong with it when I watched it two days ago because the way it was done was, I don't want to say wholesome, but it was very, very true to what a fantasy movie should be. Do you guys agree with that? Absolutely. So I think what we like to do here, right now we're going to play the trailer. And Rudy, I don't know if you realize what you're getting yourself into, but when we play the trailer for these movies, Spro and I usually sort of zen out and commit our thoughts to either poetry, song parody, or just sort of existential writing and come up with a way to celebrate this movie in the way it should be celebrated in some form of writing. Are you are you able to handle that do you think? <laughs>
2: we're we're going to find out.
1: <laughs> All right, I like it. You're not afraid, are you? We're just going to see, we're just going to see what happens. You're down? I'm down. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to play the trailer now for 1989's The Wizard starring Fred Savage, Christian Slater, Bo Bridges. Bo
0: Bridges. Bo. Yep.
1: Jenny Lewis, who we'll talk about later. And is there anybody, I feel like there's one more like ringer that popped up in the movie that I'm missing.
0: Toby right. Maguire. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> Toby Maguire credited as goon in Lucas, <laughs> Lucas's posse. But we'll get, we'll we'll unpack all of Lucas Barton here in a minute. Here's the trailer for The Wizard. Two tickets to California, please. That's $226. Well, we only have
2: $27.30. Where does that get us?
1: Nowhere. Corey's taking his brother Jimmy on a ride. Now these two boys already traveled more than 80 miles across the state.
2: We've hired someone to find him. What's his problem? He's just shy.
1: But Jimmy's got a secret. You
2: got 50000 on Double
1: Dragon? that could make this the ride of their lives.
2: Look at him. He's a wizard. He's headed for the video championship. <laughs> this guy? What is that?
1: Power glove.
0: Yeah, well, uh, just keep your power gloves up for all right?
1: With a touch of romance.
0: I am not kissing a boy.
1: And a ton of trouble. That's you. We're too
0: late. One <laughs> me down! Sorry about that.
1: You
2: maniac! They'll get there any way they can.
1: Jimmy! Here we come! It's Jimmy! Jimmy. It's Jimmy. Come here! Stop, Stop them! Come on. Hey! Come on. Come
2: on. Now what do you think you're doing to him? All his life, you've been telling him to do what you want him to do. How about once you ask him what he wants to do, huh?
1: Now, video on a getter.
0: It's gonna take a lot of guts.
2: You can do it!
0: A little magic.
2: You're back! And The Wizard.
0: Fred Savage. The Wizard. The Wizard. I totally read Todd Holland's name as Tom Holland. <laughs> I was like, wait, he Spider Man didn't direct this
1: in 89? Before he I was, was born. Even born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm ready to go if you guys are.
2: What's a haiku again?
1: <laughs> Is that 575 five. Seven, five syllables. Okay.
2: All right. We're going to give this a shot.
1: All right. So the trailer for the wizard, basically a commercial for a commercial. And now we're going to go ahead and we're going to read our, our cinematic poetry, writings, and thoughts, scribed to paper. Who wants to go first, fellas? Uh, I'll go first. <laughs> Rudy, you, Rudy, you're going to go last. You're going to go last. You're going to round this oh. up. We're going to save the guest for last.
0: <laughs> oh, great. Let this be right, a warning ahead, to bro. the other guests coming. I did a haiku. Subtle autism. Many children endangered. Adults really suck.
1: That's pretty brilliant. And you didn't mention video games once. So this could, that could have been about several movies. That was That's that's the mark yeah, I, of a good poem. It applies to a lot of things. I did a limerick. Here we go. This film's undeniably rad and truly heartwarmingly sad. It's a quest full of love and one power glove, both of which have been called so bad. Man, that's <laughs> good. That's why I never
0: go after MC, man. That's why I never go after MC. I'm a poet. What can I say? All right, Rudy,
1: what do you got?
2: All right, so this is the first... Uh, haiku I've ever written in my life. <laughs> um <laughs> all right. I think I think it I think it works. Here we go. Mm-hmm. California savage, pint size button mashing hero. Gimme 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 Jimmy.
1: Wait a minute. Gimme gimme. gimme. <laughs> that was a lot of syllables. That was so first no, my first question is how many syllables are there in the word California? Because Four. that's up for debate.
2: California Savage.
1: California. Some... So maybe we can consider that your California. first draft. Maybe we can call that we maybe we can call that your rough draft, and we can uh, <laughs> we can hand it back in later. But I think you got I think you got what the idea is, and we we applaud you for that. In fact, I'm literally <laughs> applauding right now. Thank you. Give me, give me. Where should we start with this? Because as I said, there's a lot to unpack here. My notes
0: start with I love Christian Slater.
1: Tell, okay, that's hey, that's a bit. That's a good place to start as any because he. I mean, obviously, this is an early role for him. Like, where was this? His filmography was this like his first role, second. This oh, was.
0: Wait. It wasn't his first role. This is right before he blows up, though, because right after okay. this role, he's going to show up in Heather's, and Heather's is what kind of like
1: skyrockets his fame, right. So his character in the movie, I would argue that his character had one of the... He was like the voice of reason for most most of the movie. And he had this kind of benevolent, unfettered love of his family. And he spent most of the time with the Bo Bridges character, who's... And I got confused. He's the original biological father of Jimmy, of Corey, and of... What was Christian Slater's name? Christian Slater was Nick Woods. Nick, that's right. So he was the biological father of Jimmy, Corey, and Nick. And the Bo Bridges character. Is kind of like, you don't really get into a ton of the backstory. You know that he's sort of like a salt of the earth guy, kind of aimless, and it's implied that he's, you know, not on the surface the best father. But the relationship that you see grow over time with him and Christian Slater because they're traveling together trying to find Jimmy and Corey. I thought it was kind of heartwarming because essentially credit to whoever handled the product placement in this movie, they bonded him and Christian Slater bonded and became a stronger family through video game there. Cause there are a couple scenes where like the dad first gets his, his gets his first glimpse of what a Nintendo is. And I love in the eighties and the nineties when like adults, Call everything a Nintendo or everything a video game. You know, it's not a video game system. It's like, oh, that's Corey's old video game, but he's pointing at the Nintendo. That always kind of like made me laugh because when we were kids, adults were stupid. But there are a couple scenes where like he sees Christian Slater playing the game and he's like, I don't get it. This is for morons or whatever. And then there are a couple scenes where it's like an evolution to where he actually becomes almost like an accomplished gamer and he's addicted to gaming kind of by the end of the movie. And that in turn brings him closer to the family and brings everybody closer to Video Armageddon, which is just a great name.
0: Oh, yes. Well, him saying that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was I forget how he worded it, like a simple game. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was one of the hardest games I remember playing that back in the, the day. The hardest like,
1: game that existed for Nintendo. Yes.
0: There's so much nostalgia to this, and there's so much to this movie that I was like, can we just bring this back? Especially like the video games within the tables at the restaurants where oh, like no, everybody can, can watch the person playing it. Oh, <laughs> I-, I saw that and I yelled Pizza
2: Hut because the Pizza Hut always had the video game table.
1: First of all, I call bullshit on Bo Bridges being able to beat Ninja Turtles. Uh, And you can tweet that to him. I I doubt it very much. You mentioned nostalgia and I remember seeing this movie when I was a kid and I didn't know what nostalgia was because I was too young to have any. But I got that same feeling as I'm older now, I know what nostalgia is. And I remember feeling the exact same way kind of watching it as a kid. So whatever they did to make the energy of this fantastical road trip, running away, all for the sake of video games. I feel like they did it well.
2: Like it's a fantasy for 12, 13-year-old Rudy, the, the the running away video game. At minute eight, Fred Savage has run away from home. I kind of, some of my notes are focused on the movie and some of them aren't. Like I was really focused on what he decided to run away with. What was in his bag? And I, you know, posed the question. I was like, what would be in my bag? Because the stuff in his bag was just ridiculous to run away with.
1: I don't even remember when they like revealed what was in his bag. But I do remember that like him standing at the bus stop with like a backpack and a skateboard. <laughs> a skateboard. And, um, essentially, that's basically like if you were a kid and tried to run away, that's what you took. What I recall, and I wrote a note about this, was... When they actually try to bust Jimmy out, and a little backstory, Jimmy is Fred Savage's little brother, or half-brother, I'm sorry, half-brother, and it's never really, oh wait, so he's not, so he wasn't the biological son of Bo Bridges, is that right? I have a note here that says, explain the family dynamic. Rudy, do you know the
2: family dynamic? Yes, I do, because my note says, broken family, what's going on here? So um, (laughs) Christian Slater and uh, Corey and Nick are Bo Bridges' biological children. From okay. another marriage, Jimmy is the child of Bo and Bridges his dead sister, and their sister Jennifer. And, and 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 their sister Jennifer from their stepmother, the second marriage. The mother doesn't really, you know, she's kind of quiet throughout most of the movie.
1: But, but yeah, she's, so she's the woman in the movie, right? Who's married to that she, guy with the no neck and the weird hair? Yeah, air.
2: the the classic eighties jerk dad. Yeah, that right. Guy. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, so the backstory is that Jimmy' parents. I guess, Mm -hmm. are the ones who make the decision to commit him to an institution. And Fred Savage's character finds out about this and the running away is basically to bust Jimmy out of the institution and go to California. The first note I wrote down was Twinkie guy. And (laughs) the reason I wrote this down was because the way that they decide to escape from the institution is in the back of a Twinkie truck. Now, I've seen several hostesses' trucks in my life. Never once have I seen a Twinkie delivery guy with a platter of individually wrapped Twinkies coming out of a truck like a gourmet waiter, delivering them into the door of an establishment. But that's the cover they used in the movie. And I think that sort of kicked everything off into how ridiculous it was all going to be. And I was cool with that.
0: I thought it was like a hostess wonder bread. Th- like I thought he was delivering bread.
1: Oh, uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I recall just, just being like right away I suspended my disbelief through that Twinkie delivery guy and was ready to go. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I so- could
0: recall what I thought when I first saw the movie as a kid that I thought it for whatever reason it was an ice cream truck. Like I think I saw that. I mean, I I'm sure I could read when I was seven years old and saw this, but I just kind of, I remember being like, oh, when he comes out with the chocolate around his mouth, like I thought they were eating ice cream in the
1: back. And now I get that it was Ho-Ho's. Here's the genius of that movie. If you're a little kid, if you're a little kid dreaming about running away and thereby a potential customer of this movie, what more badass way could you possibly run away than in the back of a Twinkie truck? I ran away to the backyard and like under the dining room table a bunch of times.
2: (laughs) (laughs) my neighborhood was too shitty to run away so no I
0: <laughs>
1: I ran away once
0: because my mom wouldn't let me sleep over at a friend's house and on like a Tuesday night, a school night so yeah, I shit. ran away, I went to the neighbor's house and hid in their bushes until my parents drove off looking for me in the neighborhood what and then dick. I ran even farther, I got as far as Dover Center Road which is like one of the busier roads in the neighborhood that I lived in, it was like nine, ten o'clock at night, nobody was on it and I could stand on the double lines, and that wow. freaked me out so much I kind of just stood there until somebody came and grabbed me. Just wow. like the deleted <laughs>
1: scene from the program. You little <laughs> savage. The kids have run away and they're in the process of trying to get to California. I forget where the movie starts. Does it start in Utah? I know they spend a bunch of time in Utah. Yeah, yes. they, it
2: starts in Utah.
1: Okay, so they try to go across two states and make it to California and all the while they're being pursued by this guy whose name I I wrote down as Putnam, who is, I, I, I never got a handle on what his exact job description was. I likened him. This is my note. What is Dude's job? Is he a retrieval expert like Beck from The Rundown? I wrote
2: down Dog the Child Bounty Hunter.
1: Basically, because he's just this like smarmy, nebbishy, creepy guy, and he only gets creepier throughout the movie, criminally creepy, who drives around in this car without any sort of like documentation or a badge or any sort of like credentials. And it's implied he just like scoops up kids and brings them back where people want them. So,
0: mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he says, I find children for money.
1: That's exactly, yeah, that's, that's it's how I make my money. And I don't get them if some, or I don't get my money if somebody else brings them in first. Wink, wink. Maybe his character could have used a little bit more fleshing out. But on the opposite <laughs> side, you've got Christian Slater and Bo Bridges, the father and son, who are also trying to track down Corey and Jimmy. And they're doing it to bring them home safely, not, not for profit, like, like Putnam. <laughs> Putnam is one of the biggest assholes I think I've seen in a movie in a long time. Fast forward to the part where he gets cornered in by the four truckers. I would love to see that deleted scene. So the part, the part right now, they find their way to a bus station, they don't have any money, and this is sort of where the movie picks up into the whole video game realm, because in order to get money, they realize that Jimmy is a wizard, which is, I guess, where they got the title when it comes to video games, because, and, and this pissed me off, he, they go to the bus station, Fred Savage drops him off at a double Dragon machine, gives him a quarter, pops it in, comes back like... I don't know, two minutes later, and sort of passingly says 50,000 on Double Dragon. And number one, not possible in two minutes, but I'm willing to forgive that. Number two, Double Dragon is not a point based game, it's a beat the next level game, which even bugged me when I was a kid. So seeing that again, sort of that was like a raw nerve that struck a little bit. But in the interest of the podcast, willing to forgive. And from there, we meet our female character, Haley, who is kind of camped out at the bus station and overhears what Fred Savage is talking about, and then oversees Fred Savage getting nervous when a cop shows up. So she kind of knows something's up. And then she becomes this like street smart hustler almost who helps them achieve their goal.
0: I always like in these movies when like the bus station attendant adults don't care that kids are running away. This is not the only movie that does that. When a child comes up and goes, I want a bus ticket to Vegas and the adult just cares about the money. Well, can you afford it? It's not like, where's your parents you know, why are you going two states away? It's just like, nope, this is this is commonplace. Things
1: were different back in nineteen eighty nine. Essentially what happens is their misadventures as they try to make it to video Armageddon in California at Universal Studios to win $50,000. Now, if you go back and dissect the sentence I just said, Video Armageddon, California, Universal Studios, $50,000. There is nothing in that lineup of characteristics that is not awesome to a kid in 1989. That's where the genius of this movie is. It was completely exploitative of kids' culture at the time, but it really just kind of... It was like the Michael Bay of commercial movies... In the sense that like you want to test how far I can take this, I'm going to make Nintendo the movie. And it really did. So as we get into the middle of the movie, there's a bunch of stuff that happens. What did you guys think about like so there were different different parts, different plot points in the movie, like where they, you know, end up getting scammed by but like some guys they hopped in the pickup truck with or something just, like that? No, they get and straight they,
2: up robbed.
1: Well, robbed, yeah, fair enough. Go ahead, Rudy, you seem really passionate about that. Why don't you tell us more? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, you you guys talk about how there's a lot to unpack here. My wife in watching this movie with me because we watched it together because she saw this movie but hadn't revisited it. She said who my wife who is a licensed social worker and therapist said this is a social worker's nightmare. And oh, yeah, yeah, I wrote it down. I said, I think it's like minute 26 children getting robbed. They're in they're riding in the back of a truck with a cow, some cows. And then you start to see how it's geared towards kids. Kids can only trust kids. You can't trust adults because the adults are Jenny Lewis uh, was like, I know truckers. There's a code, which I said, what is the trucker code? And then after she says that, the guys pull them out of the truck, take all their money, and then they're left on the side of the road with nothing. So
0: all they have is themselves. So that's She never point. talks about the code, does she? She never tells us what the code is.
1: Not specifically. No. But it turns out she's... She's full of shit in a lot of ways, but it's funny. It, well, it's funny that you mentioned that adults in this movie are not to be trusted. Yet, here's the Jenny Lewis character, Haley, who does nothing but lie, like for her first 10 minutes of introduction. Yet, mm-hmm. she's the one they end up trusting the most. Guys, I don't well, know I if you can hear that. My rabbit just took one of my pages of notes. I have to go get it. I'll be right back. He's chewing it. I'm not joking. I'll be right back. Keep talking.
0: <laughs> his rabbit stole his homework. Well, I think, like, so, like, we're going to get into it a little bit later on, but critics hated this movie and I feel like one of the reasons why is one this movie was made for kids straight like there's no this is not for adults at all this is for the people that are playing video games and we all went to the theater knowing the fact that we were going to get our first glimpse at the new Super Mario which was like the hottest thing that you could get at that certain time
1: did we know that did we know or was that like word of mouth like holy shit Super Mario 3 is in this movie I think it was
0: word of mouth because they don't really show it I mean there's like a flash of it in the trailer well, but I remember being like and this whole movie came about because there was a delay in getting video games out and so they're like well we want to publicize them while we meet the demands of the market and so then they're like let's put a movie together
2: i distinctly remember seeing the super mario tra- the trailer and okay. that's how i found out about it i don't know whether i was at the movie theater or it was on a rented VHS, because that's what we used to have to do back in the day. But I remember seeing the trailer and being like, oh my God, Super Mario 3. Yeah, the second I saw that, I was going to see this movie.
1: So that to me, the hype generated by that, As a kid, the only thing I can think of to compare it to is, as an adult, Avengers Endgame. Like There wasn't the 10-year buildup, but seeing that screenshot or quick frame of the only place that you can see this reveal of Super Mario 3 is in this movie, uh, nothing jazzed me up more as a kid than like that exclusive look at just this game that you probably like were imagining existed, but weren't really sure. And then there it was. But
0: so to get back to the point about like the why the adult critics hated this movie is that I don't think you could point a finger at one adult in this movie that is portrayed as a competent person. Because even Bo Bridges and Putnam are like playing bumper cars in the middle of I was going to say Idaho, but it, that doesn't, the geography doesn't work. Utah. Uh, Nevada. Utah, Nevada, Nevada California. Yeah. Like they're, you know, they're puncturing each other's tires. When Bo Bridges takes a shovel to his car, he hits everything that really won't make much of a difference. I, It frustrates yeah. me he didn't go yeah. for the windshield. No, no, I question no, that no, as
1: well. No,
2: it, it was strategic. Obviously, you Why? guys have never busted out a car before. So. <laughs> go on. <laughs> go-, go on. <laughs> the statue of limitations has passed. You're going to go for the things that are going to get the car pulled over so you're going to bust out headlights and knock off mirrors because cops are going to pull over cars that don't have headlights on at night or they're missing
1: their mirrors are are off cops wouldn't pull over a a car with a giant busted front windshield
2: it's easier to see it you can't tell the windshield's busted at night can
1: you maybe not i don't know i'm not a cop nor am i a retrieval expert so I don't know.
0: But then you have the cow haulers that rob the kids. Yeah. You got the, the lady who, you know, tries to get off the bus in speed yelling thank at you. the kids. At oh, the, in thank the, you. I group.
1: wrote that down. I wrote that yes. down. Yes. I wrote, I wrote uh,
2: what did I write? I wrote video game monsters, monster monsters. Is that the lady we're talking about?
1: That she's the, that's where they meet the, and and again, it's not even just adults. It's like older kids too, because there's this whole seedy underground network of like teens and tweens who all seem to kind of know each other or at least know of each other, which includes Lucas and all of his goons. And then those <sighs> weird, those weird guys, like adolescent guys who Jimmy scams at video games and then they try to beat him up and take his lunchbox, there's no one in the movie who's not pure except for the kids. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say the kids. I mean, Fred Savage just kind of takes off. Haley's a liar. Jimmy is pure, but for his sense. And then I would say Christian Slater doesn't do anything bad. I mean, that's I true. Say. He
1: His character and Bo Bridges' character have combined. They're certainly not an ideal relationship. So they have, and they're definitely not as like just straight up evil as most of the other kids. But I think, I feel like you're really rooting for the group of kids is I guess what I'm getting at. Between Haley, Corey, and Jimmy, I feel like you're by the end of the game, By the I almost said by the end of the game. Game. By the end of the movie, you're really, really rooting for not just Jimmy to win, but this whole crew to accomplish their quest.
0: Well, it's funny, too, because I don't know what it is about Fred Savage, but as a kid, you kind of just trust him. I know he, Wonder Years, he has an adult voice, you know, oh, well, narrating his life. So you kind of think he's that mature. Until that but episode like of when One Meets World. Right. Oh, yeah. No, Everybody Loves Stewart. That was the yeah. title. <laughs> <laughs> um. yeah, he was a prick in yeah, that. that. Oh, Poor Corey. But I mean, like when they're out in like the Red River Valley or whatever, or the Goblin Valley, and he's just like, oh, great. We're in Goblin Valley. Rudy's wife, as a social worker, was looking at three kids about to camp out in Goblin Valley and being like, oh, my gosh, they are so unsafe. I, on the other hand, was like, I'm sure Fred Savage knows how to get out of this situation.
1: Fred Savage can handle this shit. Yeah, uh, that's fair. That's fair. You know Um, what?
0: My my wife
2: saw that uh, the first thing I I wrote this note down too. she said, nice fire starting skills because I was like, so he's able to start a fire in Goblin Valley. Like you talk about what he brought. I'm going to tell you, he brought in his bag because I tracked this, guys. I have a problem. He brought uh, the skateboard, he brought a fake mm-hmm. spider, a got like a zombie mask, and a slingshot. That's all that's that's in his bag.
0: Wow. Funniest part of the movie is when he puts on the zombie mask and she punches, punches him in the him.
1: face. <laughs> and then he just gets knocked out and it cuts to the next scene. Well,
0: don't you ever get uh, scared of traveling all by yourself? I told you.
2: I don't get scared.
1: Never. (laughs) I laughed my ass off at that. That was great. That was great. Uh, So we glossed over Lucas. Should we talk about Lucas right now? He was like part of the like Nintendo Yakuza that lived out in Utah. And and, this is how
0: you could tell that Nintendo had a hand in the movie, though, because when you know, when somebody was legit, like Uh I have 97 games and I have conquered them all in our day, because I was kind of one of these people just, you know, skipping church to play Rampage, the neighborhood
1: kids called me Nintendo nerd. But are you saying that they um, tweaked his character to make him not a nerd, but like a badass, like, yeah, guru, guru like this kind is, of
0: character? He's like the Cobra Kai,
1: right? Yeah, of Nintendo, right? That's
2: so that's so weird because like Nintendo was a status symbol when I was a kid. Like if you had a Nintendo, you weren't a nerd. You were like a one percenter. You know, it was like people came to your house to play Nintendo and. You can tell he's a bad guy immediately because his oversized jacket with the sleeves rolled up to his elbows. Like, that's a classic trope. It made me angry because he looked cool, but whatever.
1: I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and forego that anyone listening to this episode has not seen the movie. Sometimes we try to explain the movie to people who haven't seen the movie, but I don't think, that it, I don't think that's real. So Lucas is, I would say, one of four villains in the movie that these kids have to deal with. There's Lucas... There's, I'm gonna count the the classic '80s dad that we talked about as two. Mm. There's Putnam, and then I, f- and, and then there's I'm gonna lump together like all the um, like the kids who beat up Jimmy, try to beat up Jimmy, and the truckers that steal their money as just like generic henchmen villains. Society, so, <clears throat> society, sure. So, but Lucas is kind of the first introduction to like a villain that exists on the level of the main characters because he's a kid. I don't remember whether or not it was cool to have a lot of video games. I imagine it probably was, but I never thought that, um, I certainly never thought I was a badass capable of scamming chicks with my power glove. <laughs>
0: no. power glo- the power glove sucked. Yeah, okay. I still
1: have, I still have the power glove, but Rudy, you seem to have some pretty passionate thoughts about the power glove. Why don't you go ahead for the next few minutes?
2: Okay, you know what? It made me immediately, one, I to Lucas as a bad guy just by his physical appearance. And then when he busted out his travel case of all his, some of his collection, and then he was like, I have all the games.
0: So, you the wizard?
2: No, he is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy,
1: I don't get it. Is he like a poster child for someone?
2: <laughs> for your information, butthead, He's headed for the video championships in Los Angeles.
1: Is that right?
0: Well, let's just see how good he is then. Guys. Pick any game you want. I'm good at all of them. I have 97 of them. You know all 97 of them?
2: And then he's late, like then it cuts to a scene of a metal case and you open it up and it's the power glove. You know, I only saw one power glove when I was a kid and it was carried in a plastic Kroger bag. And it was like- <laughs> What is that? I don't know. Power glove. It was like, my friend was like, I got the power glove. And like it wasn't like presented like this like relic. And then he puts it on and he looks so smarmy. I can't stand it. So anyways, but I have a question about uh, the only person Spro, did you own a power glove?
0: Yes, I did.
1: Oh you uh. talked that.
0: Oh you huge. T- I mean I owned one after I bought one after Freddy Krueger had his own in Freddy's dead. And I was like, well if Freddy's gonna have one, I need to have one. I
1: I love the power glove. It's
2: so bad. I got uh, there's a I got a lot of questions for you too. Number 1, did you have to hit all the buttons to get things to work like Lucas did?
1: Let me explain this to you Rudy. The power glove was the same thing as duct taping a Nintendo controller to your wrist. That's all mm-hmm. it was. It didn't move motors, it didn't like magically control the characters you had to hold it and then use your other hand to play the game. It was a terrible product.
0: And you didn't have to unlock it with the the Close Encounters of the Third Kind theme music either. But did it
2: have all those buttons on it? Like in real life, you could just have those buttons for for show?
1: I don't even know what they did. I have a power glove now in my basement. I wear it to drink sometimes. And I, (laughs) I cut the cord off of it because it's a pointless invention. But the thing about it is when that movie came out, How cool did that shit look?
2: Oh my gosh. It looks so cool that 39-year-old Rudy was really jealous of this child.
1: Right. (laughs) Of this 12-year-old kid in the desert with a stupid trench coat and a pompadour haircut who (laughs) pulled this out of a metal case, and you were like, damn, that's pretty bad.
0: Yes. He plays Rad Racer like he's steering a steering wheel. Right. And I was like, oh, well, that, that would totally have made that game so much easier.
1: Absolutely. But that's not at all how it worked. Only recently, like Nintendo Wii, in the past, like, what, five or six years, long time from 1989, made that possible. So it's just a testament to like how slick this movie was. Mm -hmm. They still haven't mastered the
0: steering wheel, though. The Wii steering wheel was horrid. Trying to play Mario Kart with the Wii steering wheel was like you just threw it across the room.
1: Well, maybe that'll be in The Wizard Part 2. When they get to Universal Studios, there's a lot that happens there. There's a lot to unpack at Universal Studios. Number one, the chase through the ride... The King Kong ride, I think it was, at Universal Studios. Watching that now, I was like, holy shit, this is dangerous. Like, this is Jackie Chan-level danger. Because these kids are, like, jumping from platform to platform. There's hydraulics. There's fire. There's debris. There's just giant things all over the place. And I I almost remember watching it as a kid and being like terrified for their lives because because by then, let's see, it was 89. So I would have been eight, probably hadn't gone to a ton of amusement parks. But the only thing that you learn at amusement parks is to keep your hands and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Mm So for these kids to jump out of an amusement park ride and go behind the scenes and sneak around while it's going on, I mean, what they did basically was they created the final boss level of a video game, which I thought was brilliant.
0: I just like the driver being like,
1: just sit down and have fun.
0: (laughs) Well, actually, that Universal Studios, I worked there for a year as a chef, and I was able to walk around the park at will. And I can tell you the video Armageddon is done in the downstairs lot. It looks like where they hung up the streamers and everything like that, or the banner, that's the back to the future clock tower. Uh, And that just means that that's like the face of it. So that going behind that, you would be literally walking through those doors, and then going out to the street behind it. And that street behind it is like, it's
1: a New York street. So it still looks like that today, but without all the, the video Armageddon? No, they
0: don't have the Back to the Future clock tower anymore. They oh, took okay. that, oh, all right. that set down. But that's where like Halloween Horror Nights, right outside of that place, I had I ran a burrito
1: and nacho truck. Nice. <laughs> Look All right, yeah. small world. So I think so the reveal of Mario 3 was that was just a big sizzle at the end of the movie. But when I was watching it, the course of the movie leading up to the final battle at Video Armageddon was essentially rocky because it starts with this training montage. Where instead of running up the steps and instead of punching a heavy bag, Jimmy's practicing all these games at this kid casino, which we'll get back to in a minute mm-hmm. because I have some I have some notes about that. But he's practicing all these games. It's like a marathon shown over days. There are shots of how exhausted they all are. They keep calling the Nintendo tip line, which was such a fucking scam. I remember. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> and 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 basically, it's basically it's the training montage. It's the training mm-hmm. montage leading up to the prize fight. And then they get to the prize fight where it's Lucas, of course, versus Jimmy versus this poor girl, Mora Grissom, whose point in the movie, whose purpose in the story, I still to this day do not understand. Because I don't know if it was just to get a girl up on stage, I guess, maybe is the only reason I could think of, but at several different times when they're playing Super Mario 3 it's like and I'm gonna do the best uh, creepy video Armageddon oh, announcer voice do I can okay. so the score is and Lucas has 68,000 and Jimmy is right behind with 67,000 and Moira Grissom has 25,000 Lucas Barthart 59,000 Jimmy Woods 52,000 It was like she was like this paper champion that they threw in there for God knows what reason. And even Christian Slater gives her a little bit of shade because there's a part where she, her character dies and he, Christian Slater just goes, she's out, she's out, she's out, like to a little kid, <laughs> basically, which which I thought was great. <laughs> that was uh, just You're, hilarious. <laughs> she was sweaty. She was a sweaty kid. The only purpose I can think for her is to just have uh, a girl on the stage. But that said, I think it, it could have been way more powerful if it was just Jimmy in one corner, Lucas in the other, battling it out for video game supremacy
2: she was a secondary thought and character especially like I just wanted Jimmy and Lucas because Jimmy had the most badass entrance (laughs) I remember as a kid being like I want to walk into every room the way that Jimmy is revealed for Video Armageddon. I just want right. to be standing there, and the doors open up, and people are like, "Oh my god!" Like and that was
1: smoke and yeah, lights Ugh. and yeah.
2: And I'm holding a lunchbox.
1: Yes. Did you notice there's this weird moment of flirty tension between Mora uh, Grissom and? Lucas, like when they announce that they can't find Jimmy, they're standing next to each other, Mora and Lucas, and they kind of look at each other and like, he doesn't wink, but it's kind of like a, Hey, you know, I'm going to win this thing. Check me out. And it was very, just this weird, like, I don't understand. She, she was the, her character was the one part of this movie that just, I did not understand, which is saying a lot. Back to the training montage. Let's talk about the child casino because the one note, actually the note that my rabbit stole and ran away with, it only has one thing on it. It's three words child cocktail waitresses. Yes. Do, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. So the scene where Jimmy's training and basically things are going good for our heroes. Haley is is on the phone in the hotel room getting all the tips she can from the Nintendo hotline. Corey, Fred Savage is sort of like chaperoning Jimmy in the casino while Jimmy learns all these video games. And I swear to God, this child cocktail waitress walks up and she's in perfect cocktail waitress voice. She's like, bubblegum, gum, candy cigarettes, like not even like Vegas cocktail waitress, like Reno cocktail waitress voice. Like she did a good job in her role, but what the fuck was that? And as, as a kid, when you watch <laughs> that, it was like, absolutely,
2: I would go there. That's her job. <laughs> that's what she, but as an adult, I'm like, that's exploitation.
1: He even says to her, he's like, hey, babe, keep the change or whatever. And he does everything but smack her on the ass while she walks away. And it's just yeah. such a weird it's just a weird creepy scene that you know what Rudy you're exactly right as a kid absolutely I would go there that's like Chuck E. Cheese is a cooler older brother that I would go to <laughs> but now it's just it was just very very cringy but this wasn't made for adults child
0: arcades in casinos totally makes sense to me now because when people take their kids to Vegas I'm like what? what's your kid gonna do like why take a kid to Vegas
1: oh yeah that I get because you're, you're basically describing you know Dave and Buster's or Chuck E. Cheese. But the concept of a, of a child girl cocktail waitress just blew my mind. And you know what? I remembered it from watching the movie a long time ago, and I was almost like wincing, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And then I was like, oh, and it was just as bad now. It's it's so
2: funny that you talk about the child cocktail waitress, because like as a kid, it didn't even register on me the adult women cocktail waitresses and what they were wearing. And- They certainly, for some reason, registered with me this time. And I was like, well, they kind of just kind of stand out. But then I feel like to balance all of that out, they have a shot of the old man in the Speedo.
1: Yes, the old Speedo. Nice. (laughs) Go like, ahead, Rudy. Preach. They're, preach. They're like they're like, we're
2: all good here. We showed you a child cocktail waitress and two women cocktail waitresses that were kind of showing a little bit of skin. And here's your old man in the speedo. We're all good. That balances out.
1: So they checked off all the boxes just to be safe. Exactly. Yep. I almost when I was watching it, I almost took a picture of the TV uh with my phone of that guy and sent it to you guys, but he passed and I didn't want to rewind it. So at the end of the movie, it's basically, it's a happy ending. And one of the things that we really glossed over is the fact that Jimmy's whole, or really Jimmy's main reason for running away and being so upset about a lot of things in the movie is because his twin sister... Jennifer. It's revealed she died when they were much younger, and at the end of the movie, it's revealed that the destination he's talking about, California, California, was actually that I don't know what it's called, but those dinosaurs from Peewee's Big Adventure, where they all went as a family one time. He equates that with the word or the concept of California, and in his lunchbox that he carries with him the whole time, he's got a picture of them, the whole happy family at that attraction, and he wants to leave it there as sort of like a final resting place for his sister. Like, I would have been fine if the movie strictly was a video game movie. And there were certainly a lot of things about it's implied that Jimmy has autism. There's a lot about that kind of rubbed me weirdly because, first of all, the parents try to throw him in an institution to essentially cure his autism, which is... (sighs) Like that's a little that's a little cringy because that's that's just not how it works. And at the end, they sort of imply that, oh, he accomplished his goal of putting the picture at the dinosaur monument. Oh, he's all better now. This is they they imply that that kind of like that cured his condition, and even more so even more so, they imply that his sister dying gave him the condition.
2: My wife and I went over this because I worked in special education for eight years. My wife, obviously, is a brilliant woman. And we're like, so at, in the beginning, we're like, yeah, he's, he seems like he's on the spectrum. He's showing a lot of things like, you know, he's he's stacking. He's obsessed about California. Okay. But then it tur- that that little twist happens. And I'm like, so it's just PTSD he's dealing with. Right. So, like, so it's not autism, it's PTSD, and they're going to institutionalize him for post traumatic stress. That's what it is. <clears throat> From the institution and the way that Fred Savage just walked in and walked out with the child to the parents just being like, we can't deal with him, I could have done without all of that. I would have been fine if it was a video game battle of David versus Goliath. Power Glove versus the Button Masher. I would have been content.
1: And I think, so the reason I think behind that is because I read a lot of things comparing it to Rain Man, obviously. They essentially made Jimmy a superhero, is what they did. And Mm -hmm. his, his origin story was that of losing his losing his sister. And that's essentially how, at least how the filmmakers justified his powers of being able to to play video games as well as he did. And I agree with you, Rudy. I, I think that that's where the movie kind of came off the rails for like critics and probably for a lot of adults or or the parents taking the kids to the movies was like, it was just, it was a plot device that didn't need to be there. It was unnecessary, though it was heartwarming at times, I thought, but it was like it was like meat on top of meat you know it was just like you don't you don't really need this in a movie that's about a david versus goliath video game battle yep so let's see some other notes i wrote down let's see oh lines from the movie i wrote down lines from the movie that would not fly today <laughs> i've got some Spro, did you write down any lines that just made you like cringe?
0: I don't have any like cringe lines. I just have one where when Christian Slater and Bo Bridges are fighting at the very beginning, Bo Bridges calls him man and Christian Slater gets really upset and says, don't call me man. (laughs) And the only other thing I had was uh, after Haley gets Putnam arrested for touching. She says he touched my breast. He's almost cupping Jimmy Woods' balls as he's like trying to like <laughs> carry him out of the kid casino. When all this is going down, for whatever reason, the, the intercom is paging Johnny Love yes, over and over that, again.
1: Yes. And <laughs> before we get to the lines, two things that I, I wondered. I mentioned that there was the the scene where Haley calls up her trucker friends, who include uh, three unnamed guys, and then Spanky, the guy who she is a friend of her dad's and who she earlier in the movie gets to help them gamble and win some money. So there, there are three kids yelling instructions to Spanky across the velvet ropes. It's very clear that they're all in cahoots together. There's no sophisticated wires or like like telegraphs like in <laughs> Casino or anything like that. There's no there's no hand signals. They're literally yelling "Hard 8, pass line." Like it's quite obvious. So the casino security just gently escorts them all off the premises instead of like breaking Spanky's fingers with a hammer like in Casino. I, I mean, I thought that was kind of I, I suppose I can let that one go.
0: Well, he hit like four to five times in craps and only won $400. I, I don't know if he was only betting like
1: dollar chips. Well, they, they didn't want to try to beat the house too badly. But um, the first line I wrote down obviously was he touched my breast because that line, like, I don't know, there's there's some genius behind that line because what a great way to get all the attention on that creepy guy. But there's a line later where Putnam is icing his black eye with a slurpee or something like that. And he says, I touched her breast. She doesn't have any breasts, which is like (laughs) wrong for so many reasons. There's another line where Putnam just walks into the the restaurant. He just comes in with a cigarette and he goes, hey, sweetheart, I'm looking for some kids. Full stop. (laughs) Which is just like, what? But then the line that... The line that just made me kind of shake my head and like look at my dog like was it was Haley talking to Corey about what she thought might help Jimmy, and she goes, "Geez, Corey, you're so thick," and I was just like, "Oh, that's so funny." I wrote
2: down like any line that they reference to Jimmy and like Haley says he's shy a few bricks if you ask me like any kind of reference to like him being uh, slower than uh, anyone else the other line that stuck out to me so this movie is how long is this movie it's like an hour and 40 minutes at one hour 18 minutes you hear the line where is your mother in reference to the three kids. It's the first time an adult asked where their parents, where a parent was. I think it was, I think it was uh, during the chase scene through Universal Studios, just a random person in the tram, like, where are your parents? Why are you climbing through this tram?
1: And it, you know what? It was probably not out of the, the concern for the welfare of these children, but just because she was like pissed off they were ruining her vacation.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Did, did we get the 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 lesbian joke that Fred Savage dropped? have either of you gotten a girl to kiss you by inferring she was a lesbian
1: zelda
2: zelda yeah you know it's like it's like the adventures
0: of link he has to find zelda you have to find a house same difference boy is that sexist
2: it's not sexist it's romantic I know what you were gonna do, and you could just forget about it. There is no way I am not kissing a boy. A girl, maybe? You smartass.
0: Like, prove to me you're straight by kissing me? Which is what Fred Savage's game
1: was. What are you guys talking about?
0: On On top of the trailer. It was the classic prove it to me line. It's a good line. Mm -hmm.
1: Interesting. It is.
0: She kisses him. She wraps her arm aggressively around him. And then Uh she pushes him down on the lawn chair and then sits there like with her. It it made me laugh. Not as much as her punching him across the face and knocking him out cold (laughs) in the mask. Fred Savage gets beat up a lot in this movie. I mean, he gets punched
1: a lot. He got roped into that kiss pretty hard because she like grabs him by the shirt and pulls him forward and then basically just smashes their faces together, which is, you know, how your first kiss probably was. She throws him back and then like turns away from him.
0: And then everybody kisses each other at the end in the back of the pickup truck.
1: Oh, yeah. I enjoyed watching it again after probably, what, 25 years or so.
0: You know, like
2: as an adult, when... Uh, cause like, I don't know, like maybe four or five years ago, they came out with the, the mini NES and it had a bunch of games on it that you could play. And there was like this clamor for it to get it. And then once you, once I got it and I got the chance to play it, I was immediately transported to that time in the eighties, being a kid sitting in my room, playing video games, watching this movie made me recapture that feeling again. And I don't care if, you know, it was critically panned. It was, this was everything I wanted to watch in a movie.
0: I think this film should be remade. I'm going to go on record and say that this film, I think, should get deserve like a reboot and it should be placed in the 80s exactly as it is with Super Mario 3 coming out. They should... Scrub it clean of all inferences of like autism and whatnot. Did you any of you, either of you guys see the Peanut Butter Falcon yet? Not
1: yet. I don't. I hear it's amazing. What is that? With Shia LaBeouf. Oh no! Uh, Shia
0: LaBeouf did this movie. It, it it's great. But I feel like if you if you take the wizard and Peanut Butter Falcon and put them together and make a new, improved version of this movie, I think this movie would kick ass, especially with the nostalgia factor. And I think like we need to bring back video game tables at restaurants so kids aren't just like on their iPads alone and everybody can watch what the kid is playing and root them along. I think that needs to come back. I think child casinos without the cocktail <laughs> waitresses but thank you you know thank you. having having little child arcades off of the off of the casino floor would totally make sense for you know yes. the gamblers of Vegas i think there's a lot to this movie there's a lot to unpack to th- in this movie and there's a lot to play with on christmas morning have you been thinking of that the whole it. show no I, the the blood's in my brain man the blood's right. in my brain and i like it
1: Well, Rudy, we want to thank you very much, number one, for nominating such a fun movie to watch, and number two, for being our special guest here. Did you have fun?
2: This is a Dear Diary moment, y'all. I just want you to know, um, (laughs) thank you for allowing me to be, be a part of the magic.
1: Well, it won't be the last time, as long as you can remember how many syllables go in each line of a haiku. How's Got that? it.
0: I can't wait to count how many syllables you put in that, haiku.
1: <laughs> it's all right. I mean, hey, you know, it's it's all right. We we nobody learned to ride a bike on their first try. So, <laughs> hey. all right for second chance cinema, Rudy. <laughs> did you want to um, tell both of our listeners how where they can find your podcast?
2: Hey, hey, you two. If you want to find out about the weird, wonderful world of vintage baseball, it's essentially baseball without gloves. And you want to learn more about that community, because I guarantee wherever you're listening, there is a vintage baseball club in your neighborhood. Just check out the Vintage Baseball Podcast and uh, you'll find us.
1: That was a very nice plug. Not quite as heavy handed as the Power Glove. But that said, we thank you very much for joining us here on Second Chance Cinema. Rudy, thank you again. And um, if you've got an old Nintendo, pull it out and play a game.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at mcinspro at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at mcinspro, or check us out on Instagram at 2 cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to, as those simple steps make us more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on. Have a wonderful day, you beautiful person, you. We'll be right here, waiting.